It's been a, this season has been a very unusual season, right? It's been an unusual season in life. It's been an unusual season in church. Uh, lots of things that we used to do, we stopped doing. Or lots of things that we used to do, we had to figure out different ways to do it. And uh, this year's Women Walking with God conference was no exception to that rule. Uh, so we want to welcome all of you who are here, who are attending at that, or a guest, maybe getting ready to go back home this afternoon, or maybe you're watching online and you participated uh, online yesterday. We're so grateful. However you attended, uh, we hope that your soul was fed and that your cup was filled as you worship God and you worship with God's people. It really is a blessing, uh, all of the, the uh, ways in which that conference blesses women uh, here locally, but really all over the nation. And that's a wonderful thing, and it's really quite contagious. I was talking to a couple of ladies from uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, came and were saying how much they enjoyed the conference, and going to go back and uh, share that with their sisters in Christ. And she had shared the picture from the photo booth, and one of her friends, who I think was uh, not affiliated with the church or anything like that, said, oh, that looks like something neat. And she said, well, would you like to go next year? And she said, yes, I would. That's, that's the kind of contagious thing, especially this year. There's so many points of connection that we've all missed. This year especially, what a blessing uh, to those of you or, uh, that, that were able to attend however you attended. Oh, I want to I take just a moment. Uh, I know they, they don't do it uh, for the acknowledgement, but I want to say a special thank you to all of you who volunteered. Uh, you know that something like conference doesn't just happen. Uh, it takes months, in this case, well over a year of planning, and especially this year trying to figure out all of the different ways to do it. So if you helped in any way, however you helped, thank you uh, to all of those who volunteered to make it happen. Your work, whatever it was, uh, made it a, a, a blessing for someone else, and, and we appreciate that. Uh, another extra special thanks uh, to the management team. My goodness, of all years, can you imagine trying to plan a conference for well over a thousand women? trying to figure out how to manage that, do that virtually, when last year things kind of just slowed down. It was a tremendous challenge. And you need to know that that team absolutely rose to the occasion. Uh, I, I, I do think that's appropriate. Uh, scripture says, give honor to whom honor is due. And uh, Kathy Bishop, Amy Dobbs, Carol Holmes, Brittany Weber, uh, our, our deepest thank you to persisting, to pressing forward, to meeting the challenges, to organizing. Uh, you didn't just get through it, you grew through it. And it was really because of your efforts, your leadership, your vision, uh, that it was... Uh, Conference was the blessing that it was. So a special thank you to the management team. Your second mile spirit was not unnoticed, and we appreciate uh, your, your willingness to do that. 
This morning, in thinking about the theme of the conference and knowing that I in no way could match the caliber or grade of speakers that you've heard over the weekend, uh, I want to just tie into a story about Jesus. So if you're following along in your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn or scroll to Mark chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. By the way, if you are a guest with us this morning and you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, you'll notice these brown pew Bibles. Uh, you can use that this morning, but we, we encourage you to take that with you uh, as, our, as our guest, and we're glad to provide those. We know that God's Word is a blessing to those who read it, to those who study it, and mostly to those who live it. Now, in the Brown Pew Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 42 is going to be our key text. Uh, if you're not great with knowing where all the books are, this is going to pay, be on page 1079 of the, of the Brown Pew Bible. If you're using another Bible, I can't help you there, sorry. Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 42. Now, the, the, the context give you a little bit of background here in this uh, story. First of all, Jesus' ministry has already begun. He's called the apostles. He's performed the miracles. He's begun attracting crowds. And in the midst of attracting crowds, uh, he, he attracts one particular fella by the name of Jairus. And Jairus uh, is not in a good place. Uh, he is what you would call a desperate father uh, because his 12-year-old little girl is at home. She's sick. And somehow, Jairus, maybe in his role at the synagogue, maybe hearing from a friend, a neighbor, a relative, heard about this unusual rabbi named Jesus who was healing people and doing all sorts of miracles and teaching in ways they'd never heard. And so Jairus makes the journey and asks Jesus this request. This is verse uh, 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, this is chapter 5, verse 21, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. And then one of, came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jairus finds Jesus here at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And in you, if you didn't catch it, you see the desperation described by Mark. He falls at his feet. The scripture says he begs him to heal his only daughter. Uh, I don't know if you can put yourself in Jairus' situation. I can. Uh, I have... One daughter. Uh, Grace, come here. This is my daughter, Grace. She is 10. Uh, and I asked her if I could use her as a, as a prop this morning in the sermon. I said, would that be okay? She said, do I have to say anything? I said, no, you just have to stand there and look cute. And she said, I got it. Uh, <laughs> now, now, you can imagine Jairus, the desperation that he has, because... His little girl is just a little bit older than my daughter, Grace. Grace is 10, and Jairus' daughter is 12. But this is his only daughter. It doesn't say his only child, but his only daughter. Okay, And, and you know from the moment that his daughter was born, 
when he held, when Jairus held her for the first time, he began to get a picture in his mind of what life held in store. I remember when I held Grace when you were a lot smaller than you are now, and you fit about in the palm of my hand. I remember that day very clearly. I'll never forget it. And in that moment, I began to imagine what her life might look like, what plans God might have for her. Maybe she would get married someday. Maybe she would be a mother someday. Maybe long in the future be a grandmother someday. I began to think about those things in that moment because I looked ahead. And as fathers, we're prone to this, mothers too. You often think ahead. In fact, the things that you worry about most concern the children and the grandchildren. You imagine their lives, what you want them to be, what God wants them to be, and ultimately what choice they will make and what path they will take. And now, his little girl, all of that stopped. All of that has come to a dramatic stop, full halt, as his little daughter lies at home sick. And she's not getting any better. You can imagine Jairus' position. First, he hears of the sickness. He thinks, well, okay, maybe she'll get better. Perhaps the doctors come in. Perhaps more time passes. But she doesn't. She gets, she gets worse. At what point, Jim talked this morning about it hitting you, what point do you think it hit Jairus that it was a desperate time? At what point? He decided to go and find Jesus. I mean, this is, this is a wing and a prayer kind of moment. This little girl. Everything's on the line for her. Now, we read the story all too quickly sometimes because we know how the story ends. But just for a moment, I want you to pause and to put yourself in Jairus' shoes, sandals maybe. Have you ever been here? Where everything you had planned, maybe everything you hoped for, everything you dreamed of, perhaps for a child, a grandchild, perhaps for yourself, stopped. And you wonder, how is it going to go? Grace, thank you. This is the moment when Jairus appeals to Jesus, and you understand now why he begs her, why he falls at his feet. Because you're my last shot, man. You're all I've got. Now, Jesus being Jesus, of course, he, he says, of course, I'll go. And he goes. But in the, in the story, they are interrupted. And they, as they head toward Jairus' home, they're interrupted by another woman. And she is desperate. A woman with a, a hemorrhage. A woman who, this is, Jesus is her last hope. A woman who seems to short-circuit Jesus, reaching out, touching the hem of his garment, just almost surprising him. On the way, this amazing miracle happens. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, now, no male preacher has ever preached on that story effectively. But every woman in the audience has heard that woman's story and said, Oh, sister, 
my heart goes out to you. I can't even imagine 12 years of the kind of suffering you must have endured, the shame and the embarrassment and the relief that you would have felt when Jesus finally healed you. Now, all of this is in the midst while this desperate man, Jairus, is waiting, waiting. Come on, Jesus, I don't want to rush here, but my daughter's sick. And this is where we begin our story. We are in verse 35 now, the key text. While he was still speaking, this is Jesus, to this woman, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? The first thing that we we start with is the the message from the, the servants, I suppose, or the messengers who delivered this message. You know, here's Jesus, here's this woman, she's been healed, everybody's in awe because surely they knew who this woman was and, and all of the trouble she had been through. And Jesus is there with her, it's this very touching moment, and here's Jesus, Jairus standing in the background, and someone comes up behind him and whispers in his ears. And you can, in your mind's eye, you can see it, you can watch him deflate, you can watch his head drop and his shoulders slump. And his eyes well up with tears. And perhaps looking at the woman wondering, Jesus, why why couldn't you move just a little faster? But the messenger says something to Jairus, which is interesting. And sometimes I think we have to address this issue. He says, why trouble the teacher any further? Did you ever assume sometimes that you are troubling God with your troubles? That you don't pray because you think, oh, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, he's, he's got everything under his power, and surely he doesn't see my tiny plight, my problem. Surely he doesn't really care. I mean, uh, I, I'm just not going to bother him with this. Or, or maybe it seems so hopeless. I mean, the, 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 whoever gave this message, I mean, that your daughter is, is dead. How, what more can you do for her? What possible thing could Jesus do for your daughter? And I'll remind you of a scripture from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Now, this is the same Peter who watched this Jesus do all of these miracles and, and interact with all of these people. And here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He says, cast all, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In order to bring our troubles to Jesus, truly bring them to Jesus, your worries, your fears, your anxieties, you have to believe And trust that he cares for you. And Jairus might say, I know he cares for her, but he doesn't care for me. No. You see, God is infinite in his ability to love and to forgive and also to care. So we're called to cast, throw literally our anxieties to him because he cares. The second assumption that's made is that we often assume that our limits are his limits. You see, you and I are finite beings. We have a limited amount of time. You know, as every preacher will, will tell you, he knows that the clock is ticking. 
Some of us pay attention to that clock more than others. We realize that we are creatures of finite money. You have a a finite amount of resources. Does the the income match the outgo? Will will the 401k, will the retirement funds last you through the rest of your life? We think about that those things in terms of finite resources. We have finite energy. On conference weekend, I'm painfully aware (laughs) that there is a finite amount of energy that you all have. Some of you are engaged in very intense prayer right now, and I'm just amazed. You know, that's because you have a finite amount of energy. You've been working, you've been, you know, Clayton's been putting on at least 400 miles on his shoes, all the, uh, the men in black have been doing all of that. The ladies have been, you know, interacting with each other, and, and all of that is draining and depleting your energy. And we've got a whole room full of people like that because we're finite beings. We have limits. We're born with limits. We'll die with limits. You and I are creatures of limitations. And sometimes we place our limitations on God. We believe that what we can't do is what He also cannot do. Failing to realize that God is a God of infinite capacities and abilities. He is not just a God who works within your limits. Oh, sometimes he does, but sometimes he works outside your limits. When you reach the end of your limit, you are in prime position to witness the beginning of his unlimited power, unlimited energy. Unlimited ability, unlimited capacity. Now, for you and I as human beings, that's hard to imagine. But sometimes when you're in a place where you're disturbed and despairing and struggling, it's because you're stuck in your limits. Don't assign those limits to the Lord. He is beyond your capacities. He is beyond your energy. He is beyond your limited resources. And He is beyond time. And Jesus is about ready to show them how unlimited he is. Keep reading Mark chapter 5. Verse 36 is where we continue. But but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. The second thing we have to talk about when we talk about coming to Jesus is moving, one, moving beyond our assumptions. Two, moving beyond your fear. And Jesus says this to him, and I think it's very interesting the way he says it. Do not fear, only believe. When you think about what the world says, it's the exact opposite. What does the world say? Do not believe, only fear. Every news article, every social media, every, every time a worried friend comes to you, the spirit of the world, do not believe, only fear. Jesus counteracts that. But fear is, well, fear is spiritual cancer, is exactly what it is. I want you to think about this as thinking about your 
experience. I did not have this experience with you. I was there online, but here's my visual of what happens at women's conference. You come and you are filled and you're poured into with speakers and teachers and other women and oh the singing and the worship and, and your your cup is I'm gonna fill it too full there. Your cup is filled to the brim with encouragement, with love, with hope, with with a feeling and a knowledge that God is there. You leave encouraged and filled but I have to, to tell you what's going to happen next. And if you've been to conference before, you know what's going to happen. You see, you're going to get in the car after worship today. You're going to go to lunch. And on the way back to where you are, you're going to get a phone call. And a friend is going to tell you about some terrible tragedy. And you're going to worry about that. You're going to worry for your friend. And, and then you're going to open social media. And you're going to see all of the things people are complaining about and all of the the troubles and all of the issues going on. Then you're going to look at your news app and you're going to see that more things are going wrong in the world. And you're going you're to continually just see all of these things and hear all of these things and it's going to very much, all of a sudden, when you get home, your cup's not quite so full. You might say you feel a little drained. And a week later, you, you look in the cup and you say, what? what's wrong with this pitcher? You see, that's how the enemy works. What God has filled, he's going to try to empty. What God has poured into you, the enemy is going to try to take out of you. Oh, he's at work right now, don't you know? That's how he works. That's how he's always worked. And, and just as I put this cup to capture that and to stop the leaks, just think of this second cup as your, as your faith. Don't fear. Only believe. Now that's easier said than done. I realize that's one of those things that preachers can do and it's not hard. I, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is on page 1,287. In the Pew Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, we are in verse 6. The whole chapter would be good, but not enough time. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and, and, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is formed in the moments of the impossible. I like this picture of the mountain because it's, it's kind of that moment when you, oh man, I can't, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if you've ever been on a mountain hike or, or you've been faced an obstacle of some type. But this is that moment where you have to choose, are you, are you going to give in to faith? Are you going to believe or are you going to fear? Faith is formed at, the, at, at these moments, these precise moments, when the obstacle is bigger than you. 
When the sea is too far for you to cross, when the mountain is too high for you to climb by yourself, that's when faith counts. Faith is not trusting in yourself. We have a lot of what I call trendy narcissism today. You are enough. You are good. You have unlimited power. No, you don't. No, you, you need to, to meet an almighty God who does. Because you by yourself are not enough. And when you tell people that they are enough and they come to these moments when they know they aren't enough, it fills them with fear and anxiety and worry and not faith and not trust. Faith is trusting God that he can even when I can't. You know the word from Isaiah. Fear not, Isaiah 41. Fear not for I am with you. It doesn't say fear not because you're enough, girl. No, that's not what it says. It says fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. This is the moment where Jared has, Jairus has to be. You know, standing behind Jesus, looking, hearing wanting to be afraid, wanting to think his daughter's gone. And Jesus says, do not fear. Only believe. Where Jairus says, I can't. Lord, if if you're going to do something here, you're going to have to do it. Because as much as I want to as her father, there is nothing I can do to bring my precious little girl back. You're going to have to do it. Here is when Jairus realized he was not enough. You and I are not enough, but Jesus is. And what did Jesus call him to? Faith over fear. The Lord is my light, says Psalm 27. And my salvation, whom shall I fear? That old song, whom shall I fear? And maybe, maybe you sing that song incorrectly and think, well, I'm courageous, I'm strong, I'm mighty. No, that's not how you sing that song. You sing that song knowing that without the Lord, we have every reason to fear. But with Him, we have none at all. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Fear, if you think about it, is spiritual cancer. Fear is what made Adam hide from God. Fear is what put Israel in the promised land 40 years later than God intended. Fear is what caused a one-talent servant to bury his talent. So you got to have faith. And that only comes by trusting God. And when you do that, it will eliminate fear. Now after that, when your cell phone goes off, then we'll go to the next verse. Verses 38 of Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Verse 38, 
they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, that's Jairus. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? Now, you need to know, they had a little bit of thing in this culture where they would hire professional mourners. And the richer you were, the bigger crowd of mourners you could hire. So perhaps Jairus was a man of means, or perhaps this was the hired mourners and the family who was legitimately experiencing a loss. But Jesus comes into us, and he seems to have a contrarian attitude. Verse 39, and when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. And they put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. First, we have to remove all assumptions. Second, we have to remove all fear. And third, we need to understand God's perspective. Now, that's not easy to do because we're human and God's God. But we have to work to keep it in an eternal perspective. What I mean by that is we don't see things as God does. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God does not see it as you see it. Again, you and I are in this box of limitations. We have a limited perspective in everything. And sometimes we apply that limited perspective to Him. Now Jesus says to a crowd of people mourning the loss of a 12-year-old girl, Jairus' only daughter, the girl is not dead, but sleeping. We can spend a lot of time on that, but the point of it is this. Jesus didn't see that girl as everybody else saw her. Jesus saw and knew what, what went beyond the limits of her life and what was going to happen in the moments. And they laughed at him, and they're going to laugh at you too. People will mock your faith in Jesus. People will mock you for not having enough fear. They'll say you're naive. They'll they'll say you're just Pollyannish. Do exactly the the same to them that Jesus did to his mockers. Put them outside. You don't need them in your heart. You don't need them in your mind. You need to trust the one who can do all things and who is beyond your limits. Hang on to Jesus because he always gets the last laugh. Let's keep going. Taking her by the hand... He said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and she began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. You need to know that Jesus never leaves anyone the same. You are not, if you came to conference this weekend from out of town, you are not the same woman you were when you came three days ago or two days ago. You're not the same. That is God at work. Had a, uh, I don't know who dropped it, I think the the decoration committee (laughs) outside the conference office, but there's this butterfly. It's it's not real, I promise. Um, 
But it's this little butterfly. I was, I was, I was just reminded, God, this is how God works. God doesn't let anything that's living stay the same. You're not the same now. And you shouldn't be the same in your walk with Christ. And this little girl would never be the same after her interaction. And don't you know that Jairus was never the same either. He said to her, little girl, arise. God will never give you more than you can handle. No, no, that's a lie. (laughs) I know well-meaning people say that, but that's not true. There are too many people in the pages of this book who were given more than they could handle. You want to look at one? Let's look at one. Sure you do. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Look, go ahead, turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. A man by the name of the Apostle Paul was given more than he could handle. You say, ah, oh, come on, preacher. He was the Apostle Paul. No, look. Look at, the, look at what the Scripture says. Verse one, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and following. He's writing to the church at Corinth there. He says, verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. Pay attention. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. God will never give you more than you can handle. Lie. God will give you more than you can handle. And there's a purpose in Him giving you more than you can handle. So that you stop trusting in you. So that you stop believing in you. Because that will fill you full of fear. No, he needs you to lead you to a mountain that you can't climb and a river that you can't cross and a sea that's far too wide and a project that's beyond your ability for one reason. Look at what Paul says. But, this is verse 9, that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. From the tiny caterpillar to the butterfly, we're reminded again and again that God leaves nothing the same. And even death, even when we would think that the caterpillar is gone and dead and worth no more, God raised it again. And when they gave up on this little girl and thought, well, she's gone now, Jesus can do no more, Jesus reminded them again that their hope is in a God raises the dead. Our hope is in that same God. He'll change us just like he changed her. And that may mean you come to a point where you get something that's harder than you when God gives you something more than you can handle. And you know what you do in those moments? Here's wisdom from the preacher. When you get more than you can handle, then maybe it's time to let God handle it. And stop trusting and relying on yourself. Daughters especially. Life may knock you down. People may pull you down. You may be dead in sin. But Jesus calls to you like he did Jairus' daughter. Little girl. I say to you. 
arise. Do not fear. Only believe. Jesus, our risen Lord, calls you to arise. May we not think the story was just for the people in the pages of the book. But may we learn to trust him. Because he will bring us to far better places than we've ever been, that we could ever even conceive. This weekend, if you've been impacted and, and, and you just feel overwhelmed with sin or struggles or sorrows or hardship, our elders are, are here to pray with you. And in just a minute, we're going to sing a song and you can head toward the back and some of our shepherds will be there and they'll be glad to pray with you and for you. Or if you're ready to begin your journey with Jesus, the waters of baptism, and you, you want to make that known, we can help you with that this very morning. We'll be glad to do that as well. Just simply go to the back in this next song, let our elders know, and we'll see that the arrangements get handled so that you may arise. But the power to arise comes not from ourselves. It comes only from the Lord. We're going to have to begin trusting Him and letting Him call us to greater things. This morning, if you have a need, you can head to the back, talk to one of our shepherds, and we'll see to it that those needs are met. Whatever needs you might have, head to the back. Let's stand and sing at this time.